that scene, I have a, a still shot from Paramount Pictures, and I, and I, it's a black and white, and I, um, I make copies of that, and I sign that at conventions, and it's one of the most picked pictures. And I love it because it's both of us. It's not about like my cleavage. It's not about blood dripping. It's just that moment where I'm just sort of looking out and and I usually write on it, help me end this nightmare, <laughs> you know. and welcome to Subspecies Week on Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. This is a very special event for Spill Your Guts. Our show is predominantly focused on career deep dives with the best and darkest in horror, as each week we sit down for a career-spanning discussion. However, this week, we're doing something very different. Instead of looking at the individual works of a genre creative, we're digging deeper than ever before and into an entire franchise. And what better franchise than Ted Nicolau's iconic, gothic, and gruesome subspecies saga? A saga that not only helped put horror hero Charles Band's full moon on the map, but has stayed with us for over 30 years of vampire terror and aching, tortured romance. The decidedly not PG kind. But why have Radu and his pursuit of the Bloodstone endured while so many other attempts to create a new vampire icon have faded? What is it about the battle for Michelle's soul that has stayed with horror audiences for all these years. Why can't Radu just find a fledgling to settle down with? This week, we'll be giving you an unprecedented journey into the films with the series creator and stars through in-depth, one-on-one discussions, culminating with a group discussion to talk about the brand new film, Subspecies 5, Blood Rise, which brings creator and writer-director Ted Nicolau, stars Anna Sove, Denise Duff, and Kevin Spiritus together again for the first time since Bloodlust, Subspecies 3, in 1993. Subspecies 4, Bloodstorm, was released in 1998. However, Kevin was not able to participate in that film. Let's explore the dark forests and abandoned ruins of Romania together. Let's try and recapture our birthrights. Let's snap off our fingers and make awesome little stop-motion demons. And most importantly, let there be a bloodbath. I've wanted to say that for so very long. Our guest today is the heart and soul of the subspecies series. The beauty to the beast, though she's got fangs. With a villainous savage, endlessly quotable and tortured as Anas Hove's Radu, it would seem a difficult task to create a heroine just as memorable. But the character Michelle is exactly that. For this episode, we are joined by Denise Duff. Though Denise was brought into the series on the second film, Bloodstone Subspecies 2, to replace the original actor who portrayed Michelle, She quickly made the role her own and brought new depth and ferocity. It's hard to imagine anyone but Denise playing Michelle, and that is often a true testament to a great performance. Denise's character's battle for her soul against an always-pursuing Radu is the backbone of the entire franchise, and the on-screen chemistry between Denise and Anna Sove is a big part of why we just can't get enough. 
There's a scene you will hear me discuss with a few of our guests that takes place in Bloodlust Subspecies 3, when Radu and Michelle are standing on the wall of the castle just before sunrise. It's a quiet, intimate scene of devastating anguish, regret, and loss. It's heartbreaking and beautiful both in its writing and the performances. It may be one of my favorite scenes in a horror film. And Denise is just astonishing in it. So, let's learn how to survive the night with subspecies star Denise Duff. Hi, Denise. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. I'm like leaning forward, yelling like I can't see you, like you're not there. Can you be? You can see me, right? Of course I can. That's the joy of this medium. I know. Technology is like, a, but it's sort of a mixed blessing for me uh, doing this show because like most of the time it works. But sometimes when it doesn't, it's like, you know, you've got someone in, I don't know, we've had guests in like Australia. And like the other day when Honest was on the show. How did that go? Oh, it was wonderful. Oh, I was a bit nervous, actually, because I don't a little bit. And I it's funny because I said this to my husband. I was like, I don't I'm not a person who gets nervous uh, talking to actors or filmmakers or people whose work I admire. And like I've been I've been in the film business, show business for 20 years, and I've gotten to work with some of my heroes in this business and stuff. But for some reason, I guess it's because. The subspecies movies when I was a kid were like a big deal to me. So so I think the people that, that are a big deal to you when you are a kid have kind of a special presence to you if you meet them later in life. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit geeking out right now that I'm talking to you. So um, so can I tell you to like take your vitamins, yeah, wash yeah. your face and go to bed on time? Yeah. Shut your phone off an hour before. Like, can I do all this mom stuff to you? Stuff for sure. And I'll probably okay. be like, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but it was, but the thing that, because I hadn't seen like a lot of interviews and stuff with Honest. So I didn't kind of know oh, yeah. what demeanor and stuff would be like. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you know, he's, you only know him as the awful Radu, really, yeah, or maybe right. General Hospital, but, but he still, he plays such a gnarly character. You don't ever see the behind the scenes, ha ha ha. So, yeah. 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 And then, uh, lo and behold, he's a sweetheart. He's such a nice person. Oh, so lovely. Such a squishy, squishy, sweet, big hearted man. So, my first question is for you um, the internet, which occasionally tells me things that aren't true, said that you were born and raised in New York City. Is that correct? I was born um, in New York. I was born in Rockville Center, like Long Island, New York City mm -hmm. border. And um, and when I was uh, five, my family wanted to move to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. So we got, yeah, got a motor home and took about six months and made our way to Studio City, California. And that's pretty much where I stayed. It's um, where I started acting when I was like 15, because basically if you're outgoing um, and you live in L.A. at that time, um, you know someone who knows someone who's a casting director or a director. So um, I started acting. And then when I um, was ready, when I was of college age, I went to New York University and, um, and I studied um, directing and photography. and. And then went back to L.A. and did some soap opera work and some um, and then did like Hell Comes to Frogtown. And uh, soon after got uh, the audition for Subspecies, 
not knowing that we were going to be going to Romania, mind you. Um, but yeah, so my, so that's, and then uh, only recently did I move back to Manhattan for a few years. Okay. So, yeah. So do you kind of think of New York as home or LA? I do. I, I mean, I do because I would go back because my parents actually got divorced um, two years after we moved to LA. And, um, and so my mom wound up being a single mom with two kids working three jobs. And so in the summertime in like the late seventies, early eighties, like they didn't have the sort of like year round schooling for little kids and she couldn't afford like summer camp and she worked like morning to night. So she, we just flew back to long Island with her sister and my uncle who had money and a boat and a lot of fishing poles. And so all my summers all my summers from seven till 17 were in Long Island uh, with my grandmother, great grandmother fishing. And um, so there's that New Yorker part of me that um, just justifies my, my uh, truck driver mouth, um, (laughs) my fearlessness of, I don't know, weird sounds, bugs, blood, like nothing scares me. Yeah. but but I I I love the health of California. Right. You know, that Los Angeles. I I um people say like, how could you be 57 years old? You don't look it. And I say, because I've been raised in Los Angeles yeah. in the water. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, the, the, the sort of. um Well, and it's, it's I think it in L.A. too. one of the things I noticed is like. uh there's a there's a there's a mindfulness about health and wellness that, you know, and some people I know have said, like, well, it's not always sincere. And that's true. But but it's, for some people, it, it is. So, uh, you know, well, and you could just look at the person too, like unless they're addicted to some crazy drug or something. If you look at them, um, you'll be like, OK, they're either playing that game or they're not. Right. You know. Yeah. 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 It's kind of hard to hide the the health in that respect. I think mindfulness was a, a good way to put it. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm like keto or I'm paleo. Like I'm right. none of those yeah. things. Yeah. You know, like I I love bacon and I love a pop tart. Um, you know, I eat pizza, but I balance things out. I'm like, oh wow, okay, I'm gonna be shooting. Let's have a cucumber and a carrot for lunch. Let's yeah. chill it out. You yeah. know, tomorrow, tomorrow we eat cake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have a good friend um, who's who's an actor uh, named Dee Wallace, and, and uh, yes. Dee does a lot. Everybody knows you. What's that? It seems everybody knows Dee, or, or Kevin is very good friends with her as well. Yes, he is. Yeah, and Kevin and I have talked about this because Kevin has yeah. worked with Dee in a similar capacity that I have in sort of ter- in terms of uh, uh, creativity, in terms of consciousness around your creativity, and you know, a, a sense yeah. of kind of having that connection between your body and your mind and how you can use that to help you create and, and, you know, the roadblocks that we can create for ourselves by saying, I can't do this, or I'm not good enough to do this or all that stuff that we do. Um, you know, and, and so to me, it's like whatever works for someone to help remove those barricades works for me. But like, you know, I don't, I think it's right. Right. I'm not cynical enough to be like, Oh, they're disingenuous about their quest to be creative. I'm like, whatever you need to do, do it. I, I mean, I, uh, when, when some, I, I like to help actors starting out a lot and, and I do different um, little workshops. I used to do them in person in Los Angeles 
And um, when the pandemic happened and I uh, was moved here into Florida, I started to do them on Zoom and just little basic um, like acting classes I just volunteer to do. And, you know, and when someone is like, I'm really nervous and I have to get over being nervous and I'm shy, but I really want to be an actor, but I have to get over being nervous. And I said, you know what? I'm nervous every time I step on set. I just did a, a Lifetime Channel film here in Florida a month ago. And I was like, like shaking nervous when it, you know, came to my very first scene. You know, I was a, a co-star in the film. I had a lot to do. And, um, but I still was like, it was hard for me to sleep the night before. And this is after like making a, a decent living as an actress mm. for quite a while. And and so I, I I only tell that because it's like, you don't have to be, I'm super confident. And now I'm ready yeah. to pursue my dream. Right. You could pursue your dream being confused being nervous, but just keep pushing yourself in that direction. Right. You know, can you sort of recall the part of your life where you sort of started to feel that you, there was a pull towards a, a, a creative life, a decision to sort of be like, I want to make my living something in the arts or, you know, if, if and it's not always necessarily, I think for people, I want to be an actor, but it, it usually starts, you know, with a decision to work in a creative field. And maybe for you, it was as an actor, but I know you're also a photographer and you do all kinds of creative things. I just wondered kind of when there was that period for you where you kind of felt that calling. Yeah, well, you know, um, my mom, when we moved to uh, Los Angeles when I was five and six, uh, came to L.A. from New York because she wanted to get in the entertainment industry. And um, parents soon got divorced a couple of years later. My dad left. And uh, so my mom was along with two kids, uh, three or four jobs. She worked in the assembly line at General Motors and Van Nuys. And um, so she couldn't pursue her dream. And, um, but all of her friends were musicians, um, recording engineers, directors, casting directors, photographers. And so I was around those people and they, they, they made me laugh. They accepted me for just the most crazy creative ways. Um, and when I wasn't around those people and I was around non-entertainment industry people, things were a little more structured and I didn't get to be as loose and, um, and I thought, oh, these people, like they get me. And I just felt like I could tell stories of what happened to me in the park. And nobody made fun of me for telling a story a little bit longer with a little more detail. Whereas other kids, other grownups would be like, okay, yeah, wait, right. get to the point, yeah. get to the point. Yeah. Whereas, right. Like my, my mother's artist friends, they were like, listen to that <laughs> adjective she used. She could be a writer. And so I really thought like, wow, they're like, I, I gravitated toward the people that appreciated a more artful way of yeah. living, a, a more humorous, colorful way. And so when I was like 14, 15, my mom helped me to find an agent. And, and I just thought, you know, whatever I did for a living, I wanted to be around these kind of people. And, you know, I even... Um, when I graduated high school, I was a valedictorian of my class in 12th grade in, in Los Feliz, and I got a full scholarship to UCLA. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to do acting um, or the arts because I thought I'm, I've been given a free, I don't know, $40,000, $50,000 scholarship. At the time, that was a lot of money. Um, I should do something of a noble profession. And I thought, I'm going to go in and start engineering. I thought, let me, so I went to UCLA when I was 18, um, my first year of college as an engineer. And I realized after the first couple months that they didn't get my jokes. 
and they were very serious, my fellow engineer students. Now, mind you, I, I feel like people who study engineering now have a little more right. creativity to them, but certainly not in, right? Because there's many different creative aspects engineering can go. It wasn't as creative, I felt, in, in um, the late 80s. And I was like, I want to apply to NYU. I didn't know if I could afford it. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be in Greenwich Village. I wanted to be surrounded by artists. I auditioned when I was in LA and I had to do an acting scene. I had never really done a full audition acting scene that way at that time. And um, and I did a scene from a play called um, Little Murders by Jules Pfeiffer. And I did the scene and, and I'm crying and she's this wife in it, right? And I'm 19. And, um, and after the scene was done, the instructor came over to me and he goes, did you know, did you, did you read this whole play? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He goes, did you know it was a comedy? And I said, no. He goes, okay, well, well, it was, and I do want you to read the whole play. He said, but you have a very raw and natural gift and you light up a room but I do want you to read that play because you have a lot of talent in you and I'm going to accept you into the program. But when you go back in that room, the waiting room, don't tell anyone because we send the letters out next month, but you're in. And it was so like, and I remember having to go back in the room because I left my backpack in there and you bond with all the other audition students and, and grabbing and I had tears welled up. And, um, and I and I I studied, you know, I studied directing and stage design and photography. And I don't know what the heck I was doing, but I, I knew that every day I went into classrooms where people got me. They got my my truck driver mouth, my stupid jokes, my my inquisitiveness of asking questions, maybe a little ad nauseum. Um, and then went back to I couldn't afford only one year. Um, and I went um, I went back to uh, to LA and started to work with a photographer just doing makeup for some odd money and uh, and got my way into um, agencies and and got an agent and and started that way so were you like as a young person were you like very into cinema like did you go to the theater law and did you have you know actresses that were sort of inspirations or acting sort of heroes for you or um, I it's funny you know I I, I haven't really I, I don't feel I've manifested what I've really what I really liked, which was stand up comedians um, that that is it's just I just always admired. I mean, this is like from the George Carlin days and the Richard Pryor days and Steve Martin days like those guys. To me, it was magic that one person could stand on a stage and just talk and 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 your ribs hurt and you don't you you're not. You're not thinking about anything. Um, it, it doesn't sort of stimulate anything sad in you. It, you just laugh. And and I would always love seeing how my family and, and everyone in my house uh, came together and laughed at all the same things from comedians. And I just thought, God, like that's powerful. Like that was more powerful than to be or not to be. Oh, look at that performance. You know, Um I, I haven't pursued that. I did do a one-woman show um, about five years ago at CBS in L.A. that Kevin helped me write and direct. Um, yes. And it was um, it was basically the, the, the story of the first 25 Kevin's years of my life. Kevin's we should specify, and not me, trips. Kevin, for listeners. Or like- 
That's right. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Spiritus, you know, from uh, Days of Our Lives and uh, The Hills Have Eyes and Friday the 13th, part of the, and subspecies. Um, so so that's kind of what I, I grew up with. And one of one of my favorite things, I mean, I love creating stories and being in cinema. Um, but I, I really love um, the daily work of going to a set and having the cameraman and the sound guy and the makeup artist, having mm-hmm. them be my coworkers. Like whatever comes out at the end of the day, like, oh, we have this film now and that product will live on forever. And that's fantastic. Um, but sometimes that takes a long time to even sure. get the satisfaction of that. Right. And that kind of goes more into the hand of the director. Like when I got to direct a film, um, that was like, like the most joyous experience ever, because it's like being a parent. Um, you, you are constantly engaged with the art form to the very bitter end. As a regular actor, you show up right. you do your work and then that's it. Um, Right. So it's why the takeaway for me wasn't like, look at this great thing I did. It was look at these amazing friends that I've met, met and, and made these lifetime relationships after just a day, a week, three months. Um, whereas any other job that that I had done, any other little odd job, it, it wasn't as fun to, to the, those. The, the peers didn't have that common goal of. I would do this job for free, mm-hmm. you know, and to, yep. to have a, to, to be in a profession where everybody around you would practically do it for free. They love it that much. That puts the fun level pretty darn high. I mean, I've always kind of said that I feel like the people that I'm in, that I've been inspired by uh, that have been around me in my career and whether that was on the stage or when I became a filmmaker as were people that, um, whatever their craft was, whether it was an actor or a writer or a VP or a crew member, whoever it was, that that what they did was like a compulsion to them and not like a choice. It wasn't like, you know, I, I choose to do this. It was like, I have to do this. This is yeah. like part of the fabric of who I am. You know what I mean? You're sad when you around do it. Yeah, and to be around a bunch of people that all feel that way about what they're doing is so awesome. Like... You know what I mean? It's just, it, it, it's, it gives you a high. Like when you're, you know, and when you're making a movie, like it's already this, you're up against time and money and getting that shot, just this and focus pulling and did it and, you know, weather and all this stuff that you have to contend with. And you know, this as a director and as an actor and, and uh, you know, there's something about tackling that, that is like terrifying and exciting and fulfilling and, you know, and then when you're finished, it's like you're like, oh, and you sleep for three days and then you wish you could just start it all over and do it all that's over. It. Again. <laughs> like, that's absolutely that. That's where true happiness. Happiness isn't from having everything go easy and smooth. Happiness is when you overcome the obstacle, you know, yeah. the obstacle that 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 you understand. You may not have predicted it or wanted it, um, but but when you get to overcome that, that's that's true happiness. And we have little obstacles all day long. You know, whatever you're trying to sell and you get someone on the phone. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. Yes. You want to buy my shit? Boom. Happy. You know? Yeah. 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 You, you, you need that. You need like life is going to give you is going to give you stops, you know, and you can't, 
you can't ignore the stops. You can't, you know, like be so surprised when there are stops, like just expect them. That's what this universe does. It just puts little stops there. But, but, you know, a spiritual being, our job is to solve problems, you know? Yeah. This right. man doesn't have any spirit to it. I, I'm the spirit. It's the stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. It's yeah. the thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. And, yeah. and making a right. film is having to use things uh, that, you know, with spirits, it's just such a fun thing. And, and again, yeah, you take all these disparate things and put them together and that in that and if it goes well. And, it, you know, a friend of mine who's an AD always says this. I think he's so dead on. He said, you know, the truth is, is it's just as much work to make a shitty film as a good one. So and it's kind of true, right? It's just hard to make a movie. So it's so that's exactly it. Yeah. You like go I the always, same steps, you know? Yeah. Right. And you, you know, when you're making a movie, you kind of, you have to believe that you're making Citizen Kane. That's right. And then when it's over, you kind of see what it might actually be. But, but when you're making it, you have to just, you know, it's like you compared it to a child. Like it's nobody has, a, well, hopefully a good parent doesn't do this. You never have that child where you're like, well, this one has not got as much potential. I'll put half as much effort into raising this child. You don't do that. You, know, you, you go all in. That's it. You do. Although, yeah. Um, one of my favorite comedians, he, he's like, I have three really great kids and one decent one, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably yeah, true. It's true. I, yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, and you described sort of that to you, there's sort of a, as like a spirituality component in how you approach your work. Can you explain a little bit more to me about how you see that? Well, yes. I mean, you know, we, we, I, I very much see, that, you know, I'm a body, but I have, but, uh, you know, I have a body, I am a spirit, right? And so my body can like be tired. Um, it can, it can get old um, and it can do things to kind of push my button, but it's really, um, you know, in this profession as an actor, you need your body, you know, and, um, and it, it has to look a certain way and it, ha and it conveys messages by how it looks, Um and so it's it's really super important that if even if you're not having a great day or if you're not feeling something, it it all just ekes through the muscles of your face and of your body, and and it can change what people perceive in in a nanosecond. And I and I remembered I was studying directing at NYU, and um, I was actually doing a scene with a, an actor director named Bennett Miller. But yeah, Bennett Miller. Bennett Miller went on to get an Academy Award for directing Moneyball. Um, oh, wow. No, he directed Moneyball, but he got the Academy Award for um, either, what was it called, Truman or Capote? Uh, so they did Capote with Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah, I think that was yeah. the one. And Because yeah. I remember watching the Academy Awards and they're like, and uh, Bennett Miller, I'm like, Bennett Miller, I went to NYU with him. Um, anyways, <laughs> we worked with each other on scenes when we were in college. And um, and I, I remembered you we would have to take a scene like of just uh, garbled words. Right. We would just get a page of words that really made no sense. You get two actors and you direct them in some some vision of yours. They go mm -hmm. and do it. And at the end of the, the scene, the five minutes, the class turns to you and bombards you as the act as the director with all these questions. And I'm like. Well, I didn't tell him to, to tap his leg. They're like, well, and then why was he looking off into the sky? So he wasn't interested. I didn't tell him to look up into the sky. Like, 
I realized how important as the director um, to be, you have to kind of really be responsible for the overall vision and that the slightest thing an actor does, if it's not part of your vision or whatever message you want, um, the audience will, will see something different, you know? And of course there, there's the leaving things open for interpretation and all. Um, but there's also, you have a vision that you would like to give and, and to see the many different ways, just your body language can affect the, the message that you're trying to make. And so, um, I, uh, I, you know, I've I've done some some weird things, you know, as an actor to quickly get me into character without without going too deep in my in my psyche. You know, I don't like to truly um, I don't like to go too deep and drain myself because I got to pace it out. Right. And I also yeah. like I, I do better work when I'm joyous. I do better right. work when when um uh, when I'm conscious of the love around me in a crew, because a crew can be very loving and they can be your best friend. Um, you piss off some people and then that can come back and bite you. So it's really good to treat your crew with the utmost respect because there's their 90% of what we're going to see on camera. And, um, right. and, and it, and it, it comes from a genuine place. I mean, I do joke with my cameraman of like, I'll, I'll slip a little extra in your paycheck, light me, right, you know, and that's always a funny thing, you know, but yeah. you want everyone to love you because they affect your, your state of mind. And, um, but I will, I will do things that will just quickly get me into character um, without having to like go super dark. And um, for example, I did a, a film, I think it was called Queen of Hearts or something of hearts. Um, and had Angie Everhart in it, the actress Angie oh, yeah. Everhart, super hot, yeah. red hair. Yeah and, yeah. and I played, um, I think I played either her sister or her husband's sister in it. And the scene was, I have to come running to the door and knock because he's, I found out he's dead. And, um, and, but prior, and I, and I knocked the door and I'm already supposed to be a total mess. And I had been talking, like everyone was being very jokey. And I was very jokey and, um, and she was talking to me about like, oh my God, you and your husband and you're so happily married and, and how do you do that? And guys in this town and we were just being very chatty and now they're ready to do the scene and I'm completely happy girl. And, um, and I remember just at that moment, um, looking down on the ground and, uh, and there was a lollipop stick, just like a, a used lollipop stick. And like, I literally just looked at that lollipop stick and I just had this thought of, oh my God, that, that could have been a child's last lollipop. Like I just created like something of that narrative. Yeah. Yep. Like, like how to make a story about anything you see. But in this Mm -hmm. case, I needed to make a dark story, not about something with me, but just about that lollipop stick. And I just kept thinking about that, that kid's last lollipop stick. Right. And, and now they're counting down and sound speed and rolling. And I opened the door and it was just like your brother, he did, right? And it was just there, you know? Yeah. There was a yeah. scene in Subspecies where the mother character, her head gets burned or it gets cut off and made, yep. right? And I had to react to that. And again, happy mood, fun set. The Romanians, I love them. They're my family. It's toward the end of filming. I'm speaking. I'm speaking Romanian. 
Now we're ready for my close-up. And I think it happened a little quicker than what it was supposed to be. So Ted um, puts his hand and he's like, I need you to just follow my hand. And this is going to be my cutaway of following mummy, right? As, as she's getting- As her head's being carted off to the fire. Exactly. Like, okay, now she's in the fire now, right? And so I'm not actually seeing her or she's long wrapped the day before. I'm just looking at Ted's hand and, um, and I'm supposed to be horrified and crying. And, and again, we, we came into the scene super fast. I had to be ready to go. And he said action. And I'd been gone for like almost three months. And I looked at his wedding ring and it just reminded me of how much I missed my husband. And I just, I just clicked into that wedding ring. And as he's moving his hand right? (laughs) Boom. Easy. I didn't have to go anywhere else. When I can see something tangible right there in present time, when I don't have to go in my head and think, but when I could see something in present time, it's just so easy for me. Even the audition for subspecies, it was a scene where Radu, I I take the bloodstone or he shows it to me or I I throw it and, and then he he bites my neck and, and and pulls away and it says, you know, Michelle sees the blood and shudders. Now I read this script. I'd never done a vampire film. I'd never played a vampire. I didn't believe in vampires, but you got to throw down for this, right? So for the audition, um, I just really wanted to believe it. And I wanted it to, I wanted it to react yeah. with the correct, um, gravitas that um that getting bit yeah. in the neck you know it, it's kind of to me like a, a, a someone who's gotten addicted to drugs you know an innocent girl who goes to romania yeah. and and has a pimp and now needs her fix you know and i have to kind of what what could be believable to me you know and so um anyway yeah. for the audition i put um some red lipstick on the back of my neck and I went into the room and I met Ted and I met Charlie. I'd met Charlie a couple of times before I had auditioned for some other things. And um, when it came time to do the audition at the end of the scene, when um, the character is supposed to have bit my neck and I just did a reference to it and I put my hand out like that. And then I looked at it and it was all this red on it. And that just, that just, propelled the the reaction you know and again i'm always looking for something that that's easy and believable um and is fast because i work better that way if i have to if i have to go in too deep and dark it's not authentic because i i realize that life happens like that when when you get the news when somebody calls you and says "I, i my father just died of covid you're like, what? Like you didn't have time. Like yeah. you didn't prep for that two days. You didn't have two days to prep for the reaction no. that you would have. Right. Your friend called, you know, um, yeah. it, it's yeah. just with anything. Like you, you walk in the house and you got fucking robbed. Like you don't, there, you don't have that prep. And so I find that I, that, that, that to me makes things more real that when I can just see something, I mean, when I did um, again, subspecies, we were about to do it. It was a scene in part three where Radu is takes me down into one of the sarcophaguses and he, he throws the bones to the side and he lays me down. Yeah. So as yeah. he's pulling me, we do those scenes up in a cemetery and it was out at night. 
And it was the night that Ted's wife and son came to visit. And Ted was very excited. We'd been gone for um, two and a half months at that point. And they flew in and they just were driven to the set. And so they had this sweet reunion. And when I'm hugging his son, his son was probably eight at the time. And his wife, nice to meet you. So I was just woohoo. And now they're like, okay, we're doing the scene. Oh God, Radu's got to grab me. I've got to get back into victim mode. And, but I wasn't feeling it. Right. I was just, you know, Denise, the hostess. And so they're about, you know, sound speed rolling. And I literally saw a bug crawling on one of the sarcophagus walls and I just smashed it and I ate it just when they said action. Oh my God. It's just some kind of spider wasn't, you know, but I needed to do something that made me feel like the monster that this character had turned into at this point, because she was, she was getting less and less mortal. And that was an interesting part to play because any, any role I've ever played in a TV show, movie, soap opera, I'd never played a character that, that actually was evolving less mortal to immortal, right? From less human to monster. Um, and, uh, yeah, like you could have different dips. You can, you can start off as like weak and then you get stronger, but, but this was just a little more unique in that I, I was becoming, uh, you know, blood repulsed me in the beginning of the film and then it just titillated me at the end. And so taking that right. bug and eating it just immediately made me feel like throw down. This is it, you know? We were talking before about sort of some of your influences when you were growing up and stuff, but I was curious sort of if you can recall some of your early memories of, of when you first started to experience horror and, and seeing movies that uh, that scared you. Oh, wow. Early, you know, always when I'm asked about early horror movies, always it comes up and I, I feel cliche, but um, The Exorcist. I mean, do, does that make me too No, mainstream? it's just, it's just, I, you know what I notice? Cause it's, I ask every guest of the first movie that scares them. The Exorcist comes out so often with people that it, it but I find it's, it's age based, right? So people, yeah. It's but the Exorcist my, is the most yeah. cross generation choice of people from awesome. like people that are in their thirties to people in their fifties and sixties, you get the exorcist. Yes. If you get much older than that, it tends to be like universal monsters getting into sort of some of the older stuff. And then if you get people in their twenties, it's like, you know, they saw the ring or the grudge or something like that. Um, you know, yeah. which the exorcist yeah. is way yeah. scarier than that. Um, uh, not that those movies aren't good. Just the exorcist is scarier. Um, yeah. What is your memory of seeing the exorcist for the first time? How did you sort of experience it? The main thing that like I remembered was it seemed it seemed like it's something that could happen to me. And, you know, I was very young and uh, and that she just like stood in the hall and peed. You know, there was something and and I, and I will say I don't say that. Well, not that I don't say this often, but it, there's no need. But I had like a bedwetting problem, like into my teens. And um, I just was a deep sleeper. and. Um, and so seeing that, like that was kind of scary. You know, when something is a little too yeah. close to home, it hits you even more. Um, and that I always pop to that scene of like, oh my gosh, like, is that an alien trait? Am I part monster? Like, is that what's happening to me Something's in the middle taking of the night? Over. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
And then um, Karen Black's Trilogy of oh, yeah. Terror. Yeah, yeah. That's a great one. You know, that little that little the, monster that yeah, was at the, her the, door. And then the she Zuni turned- fetish doll or something. The Zuni, yes. That freaky. And then once yeah. they came to knock at the door, like, I love a good ending. I yeah. love yeah. a good ending. Burnt Offerings. She was in Burnt Offerings where the house kept renovating. With Oliver Reed. And like that. Yeah, I love you're. I, you're so good. You're as such a young human. I love your knowledge Thank of you. her. Um, so yes, that burnt offerings. Um, yeah, creep, creepy endings. Just yeah, I love it's funny thing. because I remember uh, seeing. I've talked about this in other episodes, but I thought of this recently. And I was like, I've never brought this up. That when I was a kid, I saw Pet Cemetery. Stephen King book, the, the film version, and yeah. uh, in the movie there was this whole scene where have you seen the film? Or read the book? Either one. I saw some saw, I saw the, film, the film, but long, you know when it yeah. first came. The 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 main character's wife has these memories of her sister who was dying of I think spinal meningitis, and she was very sick, and her she'd basically gone mad with just pain and because of the disease and. And as a young girl, she was left to take care of this dying sister. And there's all these flashbacks in the movie that she has of her of her dying sister and how seeing her sister as kind of this monster. And that when her sister died, that she was happy because she was finally relieved of this responsibility. And when I saw the movie, it was right around the time that my mom's best friend was dying of cancer. And I remember mm-hmm. having this association with like, was that what my mom was going through? Because she would come home and tell these stories about what her friend looked like now. And because my mom was a nurse, so she basically helped her, you know, pass. And it was like one of those things where I think there's so much a, a thing when you're, particularly when you're young, but as an adult even, with horror that makes it scary if you, if it hits, uh, it hits you personally in some way, if it connects to you in some personal fear, that's always scarier than some alien monster that doesn't ever feel like it could be part of your Oh, completely. It's like Andromeda strain as a young kid. That was weird. And yet that 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 seemed to have some otherworldly presence that was creating some bacteria thing. Like I didn't come home in my house going, is there going to be some bacteria killing my family? But I would come into my room thinking maybe the girl next door has turned into Linda Blair and is sitting on my bed and yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. so yeah it, it was those those ones that could be real and it's sort of why I've never been afraid of watching horror films um the the older I got to me um they became more effects more computer and um and so I I get more detached and also being in the industry knowing so much of what goes behind it um like I, I saw a Blair Witch and not only did I see the Blair Witch Project, but I got a DVD of it bef- um, before it went okay. wide release because I uh, was doing a lot of photography for Femme Fatale magazine and um, they procured an interview with her and a photo shoot. And I was hired to do the photographs of uh, Heather Donahue, the star. Oh God, I love you. You're the best host <laughs> in the world. Um, so the night before Heather Donahue came, um, I had received from Femme Fatale magazine a VHS. And my husband and I 
shut all the lights off in the house. You know, we watched it late. We really wanted to set up. And I will tell you, it it was probably one of the, the more scarier moments in film watching because decades prior to that, you know, I don't know, plus I've been raising a kid, so I wasn't watching a lot of horror, but so much of horror was very digitally yes. produced. And this was just, it was very unique for its time. We all, you know, hate it, love it. It was. I think, you know, the Blair Witch Project is one of the most important genre films of, you know, the last however many decades. Yeah. I just think it was so, and it was so, such a one-off thing because if you look at kind of the kind of just the amount of things that the this sort of the confluence of events that allowed that movie to be what it was the the internet had just found its footing in how to market a movie and so the brilliance of marketing that film as it was a though it was a real thing and i and all the hype about it when it came yeah. out people at the theater, yeah who thought it was real and yes. the movie pulled that off people believed it yeah, um, it, it was more than just a piece of cinema. It was yeah. a, it was a whole event. It was a whole culture, a feeling. And when Heather came to my house, I, it was fun. I was a little starstruck. And she's such a goofball. Like, she's right. so <laughs> entirely down to earth. And and I had a few ideas. Like, I had this knife, like a, just a, you know, a, a regular, like, big, giant beefsteak knife. And then I had a gold picture frame. And I thought, oh, like to me, it was a masterpiece of horror. And so I, the cover of the magazine was her, um, we suspended the picture frame in my photo studio with a black background and had her holding the knife in this like ball gown. Um, and then another idea I had of just like her, like winning an Academy Award, right? And so we had this pink dress on her and um and i just put all the the smeared like grotesque mascara and wilted flowers um <laughs> and then i had and these are all in that issue of uh, femme fatale magazine that's um, right i could probably send you as post yeah i'd love to see that but, um, and then i had a blue beanie cap and so we she's like yeah this is like the look of me it was like the beanie cap and then her eyes <laughs> yeah. so we did, a, we did a picture like that um she has yeah. the most famous nostrils in the history of horror from that <laughs> shot of her crying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that yeah. that was what she said. Although she, I don't know if she, she was my, the most famous nose. And then I, yeah. I like yours better. Yeah. It was like, cause the camera, like that shot, I always loved that about her performance in that movie was how unselfconscious it was. So many yeah. actors do, you know, even in horror and, you know, and, and you're like, they're still trying to look pretty when they're covered in blood and shit. Like it's oh, her. She had no worry about that. She yeah. just was like, I want to look as rough and terrified and just ragged as possible. Yeah. And I think that was such a brilliant, like a brilliant decision. See, and that was, you know, I, I had done a few of these horror films and then I get onto Young and Restless and I'm doing that soap for a while. And, um, you know, I go to work every day and I'm, and you want, you sit in your room and you watch the other scenes get taped before you get called to go onto set. And I'm watching these lovely actors and, and it was just a very different thing because, you know, they've got like the hairs all perfect and, and they're like, it's your baby and you, and you will not let me. And, and, and I remember I'd be looking at TV, I'm like, bitch, just put your hair behind your ear. And then you keep yelling. If your hair is in front, if it's bugging you, fucking put it behind your ear. But, but that's, I guess, not a good look, but this <laughs> is the look. And, and, but then you don't want your, your face to be shaded from the camera. Right. So they just keep doing this as they're yelling and, cry. and I'm just like, do this, bitch, just do that. Now you can. 
Well, because it's like nobody does that if they're upset, right? When you're upset, you're not That's like, it. how's my hair? No. You don't give no. a shit. You're, you're in your moment. You're not like, you know. I yeah, know. Totally. And I it's understand funny. it's like you want the camera has to see it. But my thing was like at that moment, if, if it's truly in my face and I'm aware enough that the camera can't see it, I'm just going to put it behind my ear so I don't have to fucking deal with it. And I can deliver, you know, it's just just it's different. funny because wine is a show, too, that my mom watched my whole life. So I'm very, you know, I feel like I know okay. that the cast of that show. And a few years ago, I did get to hang out with Jess Walton and a few people from the show. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. And my mom was so proud of me. And um, cause when I show her like horror stuff, she's always just like, like, you know, she just, it's, she gets scared of me. Um, but, uh, when you did Y&R, you know, it's interesting to me cause there's this huge crossover I'm finding having done this show for a bit and talking yeah. to a lot of different people and depending on when this episode airs within the seasons and stuff, but, but there's this huge crossover there's of actors who have this full career doing genre pictures and then are doing things like movies of the week or having to, or, or, or they're having to do like uh commercial spots sometimes between gigs or like, you know, a lot of horror people who work in horror are working actors, um, you know, in, in the sense of uh, that they're not like, Oh, I'm worried about being typecast. Like they, you know, did you find though, because you really built a name for yourself doing both and have become, I think, you know, people would describe you as a scream queen. Were you ever worried about the thing, the things like typecasting and being stuck doing a, just soaps or just horror or anything like that? Did that ever concern you? You know, when I, I think, I think mostly the people that say that are people not in the industry because when you're in the industry, all you want to do is work. Yeah. And, um, and, and it, and it never has been, um, there are just horror actors and then there are sitcom so, actors, yeah. you know, like, um, and, and many actors got into doing things and maybe they got on a soap and it was like, oh my gosh, there's, they haven't fired me. They haven't fired me. Oh gosh. Now I have a family. I've got to keep this job. Yeah. But I'm not going to keep it forever because I want to go back to, I want to do prime time, whatever. Oh gosh. Now my mother is ill. Now I have to take care of her. Okay. I have to keep this job. I have to, so Actors just want to work and there's nothing more beautiful than getting paid to act. And there's just, it, it, it kind of comes down to that. Now, yes, there's this, there's, then you can get to a luxury status of, of just picking projects because you like them or don't like them, you know, as opposed to the typecast thing. And I, I one of my acting teachers used to talk about that a lot. And, um, and there's, he'd say, you know, it's like Julia Roberts is cast for certain, certain looks, certain genres, certain, um, it, it, what you embody. And it's, you know, Schwarzenegger, you know, Stallone, they're very specific um, types of people, right? Now you have someone who is super chameleon-esque, like a Meryl Streep, you know? Gary Oldman or something like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, but then then you get some of these, you know, um, you know, certain uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, he is born to be funny, right? Even if he plays in a a serious film, he's going to be the funny guy in the diner. And, and he's definitely not saying, I don't want to be cast typecast as the funny guy. He's like, I don't know. This is me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real, that's a, a real beautiful career when, when what you are, and if it's very strong, and even if it's one noted Stallone Schwarzenegger, you know, um, 
that that one note is so loved and revered yeah, and, yeah. and has enough colors to put stories around it. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember watching an interview with uh, Christopher Walken and uh, the host asked him if he was bothered by kind of all the people do impressions of him. And, you know, and he was just like, um, I don't know, like people seem to like the thing that I do. And that makes me that pleases me that people like what I'm doing. I guess if you're asking if it upsets me, no, I guess it would upset me if they didn't like it. If they, if if they were, if they were like, we don't like what you're doing, that would, but that they're impersonating and that makes me happy. It's the greatest compliment. Yeah. The greatest compliment. The same thing with, you know, being asked for your autograph or to take a picture and whether in public, wherever it is, it's, you know, and actors can complain deep down though, when that shit stops, that's when they're really sad and nervous. (laughs) Always. Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the point in your career when you started having people asking to take pictures with you or get autographs and stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, and it happened in certain stages. It actually happened like it started happening in my acting classes because I was the one that was working the most and right. they'd see me on commercials. Yeah. And um, uh, and then I would have actors want to take me out to lunch, you know, when I when I was in my 20s, like mid late 20s. And it was I'd love to take you to lunch and pick your brain. And it became this joke. I'm like, everyone's picking my brain. Am I picking my brain? Picking my brain. That was a horror film. Yeah, you started um, out doing zombie movies. That's right. Yeah. Brain. Picking my brain. And um, and then, you know, sure, doing um, you know, you're you're not gonna get like you're not gonna get sort of the 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 recognition necessarily from doing some primetime guest star roles, but but actually doing some commercials in California, I definitely would be like in an elevator and they're like, Hey, you're the Mervyn's girl or, Hey, you were on a, right. you know, a Bud Light commercial. Um, but yes, the, the, and then really what started that, because again, there wasn't that much internet stuff, right. Mm-hmm. In like the mid nineties, um, late nineties, um, it was doing conventions. And I remember the first time it was the Hollywood book and poster on Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood book and poster shop. And I was like, really, you want me to come like subspecies? I don't, it, I think it had just hit blockbuster like a month the ago first at one? that point. Uh, subspecies one yeah, the or first subspecies one. two, subspecies two. Oh. two. And, and I, and I went and I was shocked. There was like a line and people stole the DVD from blockbuster for me to autograph. I was like, um, I don't think I should be seeing this, you know? (laughs) So, and it was so wonderful because they actually really understood characters even more than I felt I had put into it. Like they, they, they added stuff to my character and I was like, wow, you saw that in Michelle, huh? You know, because, you know, um, film and TV, unlike theater, you really don't get that immediate feedback. Yeah. And that's what was so great about um, people that have seen your work, that have liked it, going to conventions. You get that nice acknowledgement because it isn't always just the paycheck. Like, that's great. Okay, I can eat and live another day. But but you're an artist and you, you know, you want whether it's the applause or, um, you, you know, and in music these days, people can like buy your song, buy your song. But blah, blah, blah. as that sells, you feel validated. But mm-hmm. with an actor, you get one paycheck and then that's it. And then you're like, are people enjoying it? Did like, did it, did I make a difference? Did I entertain anybody? 
So that's what's been wonderful about these conventions. Um, and just interacting is you, you get some feedback that like, wow, these choices that I made um, created a, a character that moved someone. And I feel like in the time that, you know, I've gotten to know you a bit and we've been talking and stuff and that it seems to me like you really enjoy people, that you like talking to people and getting out. One thousand percent. Yeah. So do conventions kind of, is that just another format to engage with people and talk about things that you're both passionate totally. about? And, yeah. Totally. It's not like, you know, you don't make tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's the, the, really the, the best part is the people. It, it kind of resurges my enthusiasm. And also in the last five years, there's been a lot of talk of doing sub five, five, six years, really in the last six years. So each time going to one of those, we all knew that we were kind of helping to, you know, get Charlie band to like, get the funds together to do this. And so it was, I almost felt like it was my duty to go to these conventions because it was, I feel like I'm a part producer of the film. And this was one of my, not chores, but an obligation and, and a, and a fun way to connect and go, okay, you guys are interested. You're interested. What would you like to see happen? You know? Well, I feel like too, it, it, for that, for the, the franchise, um, it always seemed to me that you kind of took on the mantle of being kind of the spokesperson for the subspecies films because, you know, Honest is in another country and, uh, um, and, and Michelle is the, the hero of the piece. So, but it always seemed to me that you with great pride took on that role of like, this is my baby and I want to protect it, but also get it out there. And, you know, is, is that something that's just sort of part of your personality to, to take that role on a project or was it because subspecies, specifically was so special to you? Oh, God. Well, both. I'm, I will absolutely say both because I am the person that really just takes on something that I love and I want to just make the most of it, right. whatever it is. And um, I mean, you know, the skincare business, it's like, I'm not obliged to do it, but I love doing it. And it's like, when you, when you are a professional, you need to really act like a professional and, and every little aspect of it. And, um, and, and some things just remunerate better. And I don't mean financially, but I mean in joy and um, uh, doing, doing other film projects. I mean, I did some Roger Corman films. I did, you know, Blood Fist Five with Don the Dragon Wilson. And, um, but I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not a karate gal. I, I had to learn some moves for it. Yeah. Um, Don, Don Wilson and I stay in touch and, um, but like, if I was a real, like fitness judo karate expert, yeah, maybe I would have used that film to kind of catapult my right. love of that. Um, but with subspecies, it's not like I'm a vampire. Um, but, but well, there's a lot of, <laughs> this is true. There, <laughs> there's something to eternal youth, um, to that heartbreaking love story. And, and that I hope you and your me. husband get on better than you and Randy. That's I will fingers crossed that that's <laughs> oh my gosh. 34, 30, going on 34 years married. And, and oh. he still calls me his girlfriend and he's still like oh. my boyfriend. I, I finally, I am um, tattooed a little infinity symbol. Oh, wow. So I've got the, the engagement ring, the wedding band. And then the, uh, I did this, I think at our 20, 25th year. Awesome. That's great. Um, 
so I'm a sucker for a love story. And, um, and the fact that there was there, that anybody uh, loved that film and that people watched it with their, their children and that there are three generations of fans for it. It just, I can't, I can't shake it off. You know, it's like this thing I can't get rid of in the very best way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's really get into all things subspecies for a little bit here. Um, it's, it's always as interesting to me too. I think of, you know, the, the relationship I have to the series and, and I love the subspecies films at at a young age when I discovered them, I was telling all my friends about them because they subspecies wasn't, you know, some big theatrical campaign or something. It was, you know, full moon was a smaller thing and they, and they went direct to video and, but to me, these movies were huge. Like, because I don't think Ted knows how to make little tiny movies. His movies have scope and they have, I mean, yeah. he has such a, a, an eye, but also his storytelling is he's, he's not limited by, you know, the, the budget. It's, he, he really goes all, all out. And, and, you know, I, I saw the first film, but two and three was where it really took off me. Cause the first one I was like, oh, I love Radu. He's such a cool, the <laughs> yeah. I never liked like the romantic sappy man. I didn't I like, like the that. ones that were like, you know, just always like. I I liked, you know, that Rowdy was just like leaking blood all the time and he was just a mess. Like he was not. A mess. Wasn't, yeah, he's a mess. And I always thought it was kind of, there was always to me this funny kind of parallel of looking at Michelle and Rowdy's relationship, just kind of like, you know, this pretty girl with a, with a kind of a, a stalkery boyfriend who won't leave her alone. Who's kind of a mess and just kind of maybe like he's an alcoholic or something. It's just totally. sort of, you know what Total I mean? Alcoholic. Yeah. And it was funny because when I was talking to Ted and he was like, well, that's not far from what honest was like on the first film. Um, yeah. <laughs> but was it a big thing for you coming into part two? Cause you weren't in the first film to kind of go, okay, like how much did you familiarize yourself with the first movie? Did you, did you watch it a few times and kind of study the vibe of it? Or did you just kind of want to bring your own thing to this character? Because, you know, it's, it's a, I, I feel like it has to be a unique thing when you're taking over for another actor with a character. Sure. Sure. And, you know, and I, I think, um, I think now looking at it, I didn't, you don't know really the scope of what you're stepping into. Right. Right. And I'm not going to compare this to The Godfather, but, you know, I don't even know, did they know it was going to do what it did kind of thing, right? It's like you do, you just- You hear all those stories about Pacino almost getting fired and all that stuff, like, yeah. yeah. So, you you know, you you think it's sort of like, oh, I'm going to do the sequel to some film that I've never heard of, that I've never seen by this fun production company that's called me in for some other films. And, and, um, and of course- it's um in my circle, people weren't talking about it. Now, if it was something like, I'm trying to think what was, what was out then? The, the Halloween series had been out. So like Jurassic Park came out in 93? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, so know. like, you know, like if I were to do Jurassic Park 2, I'd be like, oh yeah, come on, yeah. bring it. Let me watch yeah. it. Because I don't want to disappoint the bazillions of fans who's, you know, who watched this, who now I'm replacing so-and-so. So because none of that was the case, I watched it to get the story and obviously to see what, what character's life I'm picking up. And, um, but I just watched it once. And, um, and really, as you know, she, um, 
she kind of physically starts to change. She, she, you know, gets bit, goes to bed as a mortal and starts to wake up as slowly evolving into an immortal monster, you know? So I had that on my side, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, um, yeah. And there, there was a vulnerability that, that Ted, you know, ensured that I maintained. And, um, and I, and I imagine that was what also he gave to Laura Tate. Um, you know, it's, it's a bummer. She had that sweet relationship with Michael, um, the, you know, the Stefan character. Yeah. I never got to have that like human cute boyfriend sort of love. Um, yeah. Cause you, you, Kevin's character is your sister's love interest. So you're that's just right. you and Radu. Yeah. It's just yeah. me and the drooling monster, you know, yeah. who every time we'd have to get close, all I remember is the smell of his latex prosthetics. Oh God. The, the sweat of that leather jacket that had been worn and probably not washed for months and months. Um, you know, he smoked, he drank and, um, and it was hot. Like it was, the poor guy was just sweaty under all this latex makeup and that drooly blood kind of has a stink after a while. I've always wondered that watching this, those species films that you guys did was it, it's hard to tell because you guys are not dressed like it's hot. You're dressed like it's, it looks cold in some shots. Mm -hmm. It was hot when you were making the film. Well, we shot at night a lot. So it's kind of like California weather in. Romania, like it, it was never like freezing when they did part one, it was cold, but we were there June, July, and August. It was just lovely, lovely weather. And, um, but you know, uh, yeah, even 79 degrees in layers of leather and yeah. gothic stuff. And all that with, with Fraunis, with all that stuff on your face. <laughs> I know a fan made this for me. I was like, what? I know wow. she made this for me with her, the sweet little boot. She did such a good job. Like yeah. she watched the film and just so got detailed. like all the pretty details, you know, that's great. And it, Cause you didn't get fact, a doll. Honest got a doll, but you never got, I one. know I never got a doll. Well, now you have, um, they had to actually, it's so funny. I look at this. Um, she has Velcro on this. Um, look at that. <laughs> my underwears. She did a little snap on my dress in the film. They actually didn't even have these snaps. They had to sew it on me because the dresses were these vintage dresses that were from an opera house from yeah. decades ago. And they would sew it on me. I remember the little seamstress would be down by my butt and she's sewing it and, you know, um, and then at the end of the night, she'd have to rip them off to, to loosen the skirt because there were no zippers put on it. Right. I just added to it. To me, it added to the genuineness of being in some otherworldly time, even though it was modern time, the um, just the underworld, the dark world of Radu. It doesn't um, feel like it, though, right? Because the Romania location is so. I know. It's so from history. another era. It's, yeah. 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 It's frozen in time. And so, I mean, part of me is like, wow, we're going back in time and I'm wearing these clothes. And for people who haven't really seen, the movie and I show them like this is, you know, in the last month or so and I'll Google. And I'm like, yeah, this is um, Google images me. But they're seeing me in all these clothes and they're like, well, that looks like it's from the 1600s. And I'm like, well, yeah. no, no, it was modern day. But I don't know. This is how they had me dress. 
because it would have been, you know, it wouldn't have worked as well if Michelle was in like some contemporary pantsuit or something. No, right? Yeah, I love that a contemporary pantsuit. Points for you for the word pantsuit. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't have been comfortable with. Well, I was trying to think of what you would do in '93 if you wanted a woman to look sort of tough but sexy. There was a whole era of like. Every like leather pants, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, like a Bon Jovi, like a like yeah. a rock pant Bon Jovi, like because and there was a bit of that in in Ted's sensibility of the that sort of rock and roll punk kind. That's of right, thing. yeah, yeah, that's right. And when you first got the job, um, I'm assuming just it was through an audition. You said right, you did the audition? Out? Yep, for Robert McDonald and Perry Bullington. Is that right? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, and I told you how I made a little stone. I brought it with me. I did the lipstick on the back of my neck. That's right. I don't know why I remember who the casting directors are. That scares me. That's a bit savanty that I know that. <laughs> Slow in the driveway, fast in the fast in the yeah. cars. <laughs> of course, I'm an excellent driver. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I love it. I throw you the ball and you catch it. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um when you first met Ted, do you remember your impressions of Ted? You know, he's got this big hair and this kind of mad scientist equality to him. He does. He does. He did. I don't think his hair was that big for the audition. His hair would grow. And that was one of the ways we knew that um, that he needed a haircutter that that three weeks had passed in Romania because <laughs> his hair would sway in the opposite direction of where his head would move. We're like, oh, we've hit the three week mark. Another because we were there for twelve weeks, all June, all July, all August to do the two films. Uh, I think Kevin told me, Kevin Spiritus told me that it was not supposed to be that long, right? You know, he he told me that, and I don't remember that. Okay, I I, I yeah, for I mean, I don't know. I just remember being so happy to be there. I'm like really like you're paying me and I get to stay here in another country and act and you feed me and you pay. Me. Okay. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> um, but yes, I, it, there were definitely some holdups, but, um, so Ted, so that was in Romania. He was a little more put together and, um, uh, he just, he was, he was more soft spoken when I met him, um, at least on the audition. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just wanting to please this dude who's the director and he looks very artistic and, you know, and he's tall and thin. And, and I, and I think that's like, like kind of had a rocker vibe and I'm like, this is cool. You know, I didn't feel I had to be sort of fragile. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then when we got to Romania, um, he just so loved all of the uniqueness of, of each actor. And, um, yeah, he, he really, he's, he, he sort of was like a father, but also like part of the troublemaker, but also, um, just, yeah, you, you, you felt very comfortable with him, but not so much that, um, you didn't really like respect and want to come to the set with everything ready to impress him, you know, because he commands that. It also seems to be someone like Ted, like. He seems, I mean, you would know better than me, but he seems like someone else who's just a genuinely nice person. And I think when you're working with nice people you and you build a bond together, I feel like it just comes naturally to want to work harder because you really want to get it because you want to keep, you want each other to be proud of each other's work. And there's a value yeah. in that that you don't get from some totalitarian, you know, whip cracker. 
hundred percent. That's totally it. Like you really, you get, you get more bees with honey, you yeah. know? And, yeah. um, and he is just, just total honey. And, um, I mean, even preparing for this part, I have, um, I went and I got a bunch of, um, crowns that I've been cool. auditioning for him. And he, I, I said, you know, I have an idea that I wanted to wear some sort of crown. So he's like, oh, okay. So I just went ahead and bought some. And then he sent me some pictures of, of, you know, but like, like, you know, something. And I was like, oh, I love that. But then I can even kind of like that. Yeah. That's very, you know? that's very Michelle. Really? Okay. I love that's very, that. you know, her, she, the stuff that she finds in the opera house in the, in the second yeah. film has this kind of, um, it's a lot of ornate kind of embroidery and stuff on the clothing. So yeah. I feel like all that stuff is appropriate. Yeah. You know, and of course I'm, you know, so where he's like, oh, is that too shiny? And I'm like, dude, we could spray paint this. We can age it up. You know, yeah. I just need to know like what we Arnish, can change Arnish. that thing. And this is a, this Arnish. is a period film too, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's the seven sixteen hundreds. So it wouldn't be that old then you're going back a few hundred years. No, but but what what we mean more is Whoa, the materials crazy. that things are made from. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, there's like sequins and stuff, and yeah, yeah, more like modern materials have a a, a blingier look. Yeah. Um, like I don't know if they had bedazzlers in the 1700s. That's right. Yeah. Um, where do you where do you get where do you get all of these? Amazon, eighteen dollars oh. a piece. It was Prime Day. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my Amazon's talking now because we're saying it. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> so yes, and then um, uh, some clothing, uh, you know, and I, 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 there, I bought this black slip because I had a different idea for after I read the script with Kevin, and I thought, you know, she needs to show a little more flesh at a certain point in the script, um, and I only had one wardrobe change in this one particular section, and I'm like. She needs another one. And I, I called Ted and, and we FaceTimed and we went online and we were looking at Pinterest and Etsy and, and he was giving me ideas. I was showing him some things and then he showed me something. And, um, and I just went, he's like, I don't know. What do you think about that? And I'm like, well, I like it. I just bought it. <laughs> he's like, really? I'm like, dude, it's like 80 bucks. Come on. Yeah. Cause I guess <laughs> in this like, film, honest is the only person playing the same character, right? Yeah. Right. That's interesting. That's it. That's right? a unique thing. Yeah, it's true. No, it's it's true. I mean, yeah. you know, yes, I'm I'm the spirit of my character, but I'm not that that girl. He right. is literally the same body that was. in uh, yeah, yeah, because it's like because Kevin's character is not even in any way related to the Mel Thompson character. I'm assuming, right? And your right. character is a, is what a, an early ancestor of of Michelle's. Yeah, but Radu's still Radu. I guess he kind of has to be though, right? He has to be. I I feel like the fans would revolt if Honest came and playing just some normal guy. <laughs> like, I know, I know. Well, you will get to see him without his prosthetics at times in the film, which will be yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I remember when I when when I had him on, and you were talking about kind of what the prosthetics do for him as an actor, as a performer. And, you know, he's, he was like, I hate, hate it. It's a pain in the ass to put all that stuff on. He's like, but it totally affects the way you play something. When, you know, the way that wardrobe does and whatever. Yeah. Right? Like all of it. That's is why I'm working all this. That's yeah. why, I'm, you know, 
I um I got contact lenses. Um, they just arrived. Some gray contact lenses. Oh, cool. Cool. Is this a you know I'm guessing both in the writing, but for you as a performer, there must be a real specific thing here. You know, wanting to make sure that this character feels different but the same in a way as Michelle, and that seems like it must be a bit of a unique challenge. You have to play this person who's not the same person, but still has to have the channel something of that person. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm kind of going, um, the, I'm, I'm going more with really playing this character, how she's written. And I feel the fact that the same human being that is playing sub five as played sub two and three and four. Yep. That I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to pull it through because there is, um, there's, there, it's, it's very different on the, on the exterior, you know? I mean, uh, that's not true. The, the, the first part of the film, I'm more Michelle like, right. Tell me a bit about working with Honest um, and that relationship and how you, I mean, because the whole series to me hangs on that relationship, on those two people, <laughs> vampires. Um, if that relationship didn't work as well as it does, I don't think the films would hold up. No matter how beautifully shot they were, no matter how great the supporting cast is, all that stuff, the, that, that move, these movies hang on that relationship, I think. And for you and honest, like, you know, I'm always curious about what part of that is created as two actors who sit down together and say, okay, how are we going to play this? And how are we going to do this? And what of it just comes from when you get on set and go, all right, let's play and let's see what happens when we put this together. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I <laughs> number, I think 70%, well, 60% of it is how it's written. And, um, and then, you know, the, the 30% is just honest and I just being real committed, focused actors. And then the other percentage left, look at, I'm not going to do that math, is our love and admiration for each other. Right. As, as friends and, and how the, the more that grew on set, the easier it was for me to say, I'll hate you for all eternity. Yeah. You, you know, like, like to really look at him and tell him that, but to tell it with, with heart, you know, like, why would you take my soul away? You know, like, like you, like, I don't have to, ah, why do you, you know, like that's, yeah. there, there's no, that's just someone barking words at a, at a wall. But here's this, this person, this actor, this artist who's playing a vampire, but he's also, just this soul who I just fell in love with. Yeah. And, and, and even offset, he, he, he was miserable many times. He did drink a lot. Um, it was, it was very tough for him going through all of that makeup every morning, every night, taking it off every morning, every night. Um, and yeah, so he had, he was very volatile. His temper is very volatile, but but as volatile as he is, is as loving he is. And so, um, so that roller coaster ride of, of, of an emotional bomb that he is, you, you, you always come back. Now, um, 
And so I just brought that into, you know, because as Radu, he's equally as, as aggressive, but also he just wants love so much. And it's so ironic because here's someone who has no heart, no, you know, like no real soul. He's a monster. And yet you want the tenderness from me, you know? Well, he's, he's so a had, tragic character, right? I mean, he really is completely. the stuff of tragedy, you know? And completely. when I was talking to Honest, we talked, there's a scene in, I want to say the second film, pretty sure it's the second film, but it, it's possible it's the third. I kind of see them like one big movie, honestly, two and three, because they, they were shot right beside each other. I always watched yeah. them back to back. But anyway, um, there's a scene where, where, your character where Michelle is staying on like a patio or like a patio, like a balcony at the castle. Balcony. And, mm-hmm. and she's looking the sun's going to be coming up. And, and she says to radio, I want to watch the sun come up for like a little bit longer. And you can tell he's getting uncomfortable because he's, he knows how painful it will be. And he's, you know, b- but he says, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We'll stay a little bit longer until it becomes too painful. And he comes and he stands behind and he kind of pulls this coat. Of- that scene to me always had this, incredible amount of vulnerability that honest let come out of the radu character that is so wonderful and tender and then michelle who actually for a moment lets him stand with her and lets and it isn't a scene about them hating each other and and you know we see and because there's a lot of that in the films and that stuff's great and that drama of that's always fun and cool but that scene always to me just it is what makes the movie special that the that ted it takes the time to stop and let the actors be in these characters and in these places and in these moments and just exist in those spaces for a while. It's really beautiful stuff. And for you as an actor, you know, I just think that it's the stuff that makes me think when I hear people say condescending things about genre films, I'm like, well, watch a scene like that and tell me that it's not as good as anything you'll see in any great drama. Like I, you know, it has all the poetry of those films. Oh my God. I'm crying. I'm the crying (laughs) right now. Well, you you know the um that scene I have a, a still shot from Paramount Pictures and I and I it's a black and white and I um I make copies of that and I sign that at conventions and it's one of the most picked pictures and yeah. I love it because it's both of us it's not about like my cleavage it's not about blood dripping it's just that moment where I'm just sort of looking out and and I usually write on it help me end this nightmare. <laughs> You know, um, you know, to Ralph, help me end this nightmare. Loved him. And, and I, so, but that, the, that being the case, people love to tell me their experience and what they felt when they watched that scene. So, you know, I, um, as you're telling me this, of course, I'm literally running through my head. I'm like, gosh, I hope we have enough of those moments in this. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I yeah. think Ted's too but, good a writer not to get a again. You, you literally have, you know, um, made me like look at, uh, um, yeah, like we got our, our oh. June 1st, 2022. Awesome. When you um, first got that, you must have been so like, it's actually happening. <laughs> like, well, yes, yes. And I was super excited. And I, I was here with, I was in Florida with my mom and she wasn't doing well. And, 
And that was such a bright spot. And I remember running into her bedroom and I went, mom, mom, look, this is subspecies five. And guess what my character's name is? Helena. And that's my daughter's middle name. And she goes by Paris. She goes by Paris Helena. And I was just so excited that, um, that that was my, my name. And, and then of course, through all of the stops and starts through COVID and 2021, it just became uh, something that when I watched Schitt's Creek, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm Mara. (laughs) I'm complete like, like, you know, I had moved down to Florida. My mother had passed. I had started a different company. The lockdown happened. What's to look forward to? I'm not in New York anymore. I'm not in Los Angeles. Um, the, the, the industry is closed down, but this film may happen. And then I start watching Schitt's Creek and I see Mara's character of like, oh, I've got this film. And I believe it was Serbia or Bosnia or something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, this was going to be Albania. So I'm like, it's not Serbia or it's not Bosnia. It's Albania. (laughs) Um, But literally, it was this bright spot of something to look forward to. You know, I mean, it wasn't a happy time for people who who were in an industry that involved close contact, like me as a photographer, like me as a, a video director and actress. So there was really nothing going on. But but the hope of this film just kept me kept me going and and wanting to create and help with the costumes and with her look and um you know I think everyone should always have a a script that they have something something to do even if you're just filming it on your own there there it's it's one of the best therapies there is is get involved with a story and and how you want to tell it yeah I mean I I think it's you know as a, a a horror fan and a, but also a horror filmmaker and a horror writer and a person who's worked primarily in the genre space and not for any other reason that I love it and I choose to, right? I'm not a person who ended up doing something. It's always what I wanted to do. And, um, and I've had the opportunity to work with people whose work I really admire and get to know them and develop projects with them and stuff. But, you know, it's funny because I think this, that the people whose work attracts you or who, who you follow and in, in, in terms of, you know, if they're in it, that you'll watch it just because that person's in it or you'll watch it just because yeah. someone directed it um, is often kind of a testament of sort of what it, it, it has to kind of have a sense, a sensibility that, that resonates for you. And I think for me, you know, when I watched, you know, that going back to that scene we were talking about, that was, that's so my sensibility is that you could have this movie that has you know, the mummy and the where and the vampire and they're fighting it out and there's spears and there's blood. But then you can stop and and have this quiet, tender moment and, re- and let these actors, these wonderful actors do these beautiful lines. And you know what I mean? It's just you. I think you can have all of that in, in a horror movie. And, and I, that was always what I wanted to do with films. And when I was talking to Ted, it was something he and I talked about a lot is that horror is this great sandbox. You can throw everything and you can have drama and comedy and you can have horror and gore and you can have sex and sexuality and you can, you know what I mean? It's all in horror. Um, And I always think of like, you know, watching the subspecies again, knowing I was going to talk to all you guys. One of the things I love about your performance of Michelle is that she's not, I don't call her a screen queen because to me a screen queen is this archetype. Yes. And I want you to know when you mentioned that before, like I actually, I'm surprised at the, the, the lack of times I'm referred to as that. 
Yeah. She's not that. Michelle is not that. Because at no point is she this girl. A screen queen is a character who has to go through a period of being in danger and then fight back against this bad guy. And that's not a, you can't describe Michelle's arc that way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and, and I'm not talking about the first film because the character changes a lot from that point on. But for you as an actor, I can't even see, I wouldn't, I, I can't see you playing that that role the, the oh god someone help me like that's not i'm sure you could but i it's it, it doesn't feel like the thing that you would really tap into is that you, you that gal yeah there i think there's a lot of other actresses where that would come a little easier and so you wouldn't be getting the best of that by casting me right you know i'm 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 better yeah it's um which is why like i really haven't i mean I haven't done those sort of scream queeny roles. No, you know, no. And it's, you know, and and that, that relationship component with Radu, you know, film being a a love story ostensibly is what it is. Um, you know, that's an interesting vibe to have to kind of inject into this relationship with these characters who are kind of, you know, they're murdering people in a scene, but there's a a parallel there of, of that they're on a date. You know, it's this bizarre allegory of of of, of a romance that is rocky and isn't really quite working. But there's some kind of love there. It's not conventional, but it's there. What what? How do you see that dynamic between Michelle and Radu? How do you see that that love between them, even though it's not normal? <laughs> I know. Well, I I think I I talked a little bit of of how I wanted to approach this because. I thought, wow, this is a very different sort of relationship, not one that you can kind of go into your past and go, okay, you know, yeah. I, had a, I had a high school boyfriend and he was kind of a dick to me. Like, no, there's nothing, certainly in this lifetime, without sort of going past in my background um, way back. But I thought, okay, well, what, 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 what is this, you know? And the, the only thing that sort of kept coming up for me, you know, unfortunately, my brother was, you know, loved drugs, unfortunately, and, and it took his life at 42 years old. And, um, but, but watching his hunger for that and, um, watching, um, you know, how he would lie and cheat and steal to get that. And yet still a loving, funny, um, member of the family, but could not be trusted. Um, and would just on a dime, just do these like horrible things for, to himself, um, just for want of drugs. And, um, and I saw a bit of that in someone turning into a vampire and doing things just against their own morals, just for that hit. Um, and, uh, and, and then having the remorse about it. And that was something that like I saw little bits. I mean, he's a dude. He was, you know, went to the military as a dude. But there were times where I saw um, like he went to jail for he went to jail for uh, three weeks for something stupid. It was like, you know, no, uh, it's something with the car. Right. Like and um and he wrote a letter to my mom and, um, and I was 18 and he was like 21. And he said, mom, he goes, you know, they put me in solitary only because I stood up for myself. Um, 
and I, I, everything you taught me about being kind, um, was looked upon as weak when I was in jail. And, um, when he went to jail, it was in New York and my, my aunt, my mother's sister brought him all the clothes. There's certain clothes you have to have like sweatpants, socks. And my aunt who's wealthy got him like all the best socks, all the best sweatpants. And, um, in the middle of the night, he got beat up to take his socks, right. And to take his, and, um, like they beat him to a pulp, right. In his sleep. And so the next morning he went over to that guy and he took the, the coffee pot and he whacked the guy's face with it. And he got put in solitary, not the guy that, you know, um, but he said when he got out, he was respected and that, that tormented him of like, wow, this evil begets evil. But he, it saddened him that he saw that that was wrong, but he had to keep doing it. And, and all of that like came to me, like this was when I was 18 and 19, when I read this letter. Um, and, uh, and now I'm, you know, 26 and I'm having to formulate this love story. Like, where's the fuck, where's the love? Where's the flowers? Where's, you know? And, um, and I, I kind of used a bit of that like addict personality. And what are you in love with? You're in love with this drug. You're in love with the, anybody that can give it to you, you know? Um, and, but to still keep my humanity because my brother still had a bit of that humanity, you know, he lied through his fucking teeth, but, but he still felt bad about it, you know? Um, so so without giving it that much work, um, you know, I got the role and very soon after I'm on a plane to Romania, all I had to do was just kind of tap into some of that world and then be put on a set um, in this uh, amazing environment, right? It's a scary environment. It's cobblestone streets. It's crazy castles. It's wild costumes. It's a guy looking at me with fucking blood dripping out of his mouth, Um and all I have to do is just say these lines with truth. Like uh, the hardest part of acting was to not overdo it, right? Because the feelings were there. My my head was in this, this confused, perfect place. And I just had to speak Ted's lines. And um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, I think when you, you look at a film, oh, and, you know, not just subspecies, there's lots of horror films that you can good horror films, I would say, that fit this criteria, where you can have these things on the screen, you know, fantastical creatures or whatever, but it always has to be grounded in something very real and human for us to relate to. To You know, if it's just the crazy stuff, at best it's going to be entertaining, but it probably won't, you won't have a connection to it. Um, yeah. You know, and I think with something like subspecies where you've got vampires and you've got the mummy and you've got these little creatures that that come to yeah. life from a broken off finger i mean it's all that stuff's all a lot of fun and it's crazy and it's cool but yeah. if we didn't care about these people who would give a shit about any of that stuff you know it'd just be yeah cool. uh, and i think yeah yeah you know for you as the actor to go to that place of you know how do i make this what's on this page feel real and make this this character feel like a person and not just vampire you know isn't this cool i'm a vampire chick like to right, make her, right. you know what i mean to make her someone who has layers and depth and a past and you know you, it's not on the page so you have to find that somewhere and it's it, you know yeah. the fact that it sounds that's amazing to me and very brave that that's where you went to find it because i think it totally contextually makes sense 
And I think that's you doing the hard work as an actor, you know, the stuff that people might not realize is such a crucial part of, of that job. Right. It's really true. You, you, it's why I'm also such a healthy person because to, to tap into all of that and then you have to tap out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. and that's, and I love that. And, you know, when I, um, when I auditioned for Young and Restless, um, it was, um, I did two auditions and then I had to do a screen test. They narrowed it down to 11 girls and, um, and it was a, um, a scene, a very emotional scene where I'm, I'm the mother who was in Europe, um, abandoned her teenage daughter who'd been on the show already for a year now. And they were looking for the mother. So the audition is me knocking on the door to Mrs. Chancellor, Jeannie Cooper's um, home. Door opens, Jeannie Cooper answers. And I say, um, is Mackenzie there? Um, and Mackenzie, my daughter, comes to the door, this like 15 year old, and I have this conversation and I apologize for all that I've done. And I'm here and, and whatever kind of relationship you want. Um, and then I walk in and I can, you know, of course, now I'm looking at where she's living and how, you know, you just let that ride on you. Wow. She's in a mansion. What an asshole I am, you know, and that, that makes me fucking sad. You know, um, the character looked a lot like my daughter. So let that sink in. She had a gap in her tooth, just like my six, seven-year-old daughter at the time, let that sink in. So just, just using everything around me, tears just started coming. And the very end, you know, I just held it with the tears. They say cut and the directors are in a booth in soap operas. They're not right there. They're watching the cameras in a booth. They said cut. And I went, and I literally looked into the camera because, you know, I'm looking at the actor and then I look into the camera and I'm like, oh my God, that was so fucking fun. And, um, and the director walks down. Now, one of my friends, my best friend at the time was Michelle Stafford, who plays Phyllis on Young and Restless. And she's got a real truck driver mouth as well. And so the, the producer comes down. He's like, well, I can tell you're a friend of Stafford's. <laughs> and, uh, and he's holding my headshot and resume. And the first thing out of his mouth after that was, so tell me about this vampire thing. Because at the bottom of my re resume... You know, you've got like your credits, your theater, your TV, your special skills. And um, and on the special skills, you put, you know, whatever, badminton, roller skating, Spanish speaking, and a vampire. Yeah. I just put it at the very bottom just to see if anyone would catch it. He catches it. And um, anyway, uh, it, it you know, the playfulness, I wound up getting it, but but the, the part that the, that they so loved was that I could go in so deep and then your ability to just get out of it. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to hold on to that. And it is very important um, for longevity, for a career to, to sustain, you know, you, you don't need to, I personally um, have found with many of the great actors I've worked with, they, they can get in it and then they come out of it. And it just, it gives you a whole, makes your life better. You can come home to your family. Oh my God. You know? I mean, for me, like as a director, you know, I've worked with some wonderful actors and you always appreciate, you know, I never, people will ask me, what's your kind of favorite type of actor, you know? And I'm like, I don't care from the standpoint of what an actor's process is or how they get to it. You know, it's, if they get there, then that's what matters. And, but of course it's always appreciated when you call cut and then you can talk to them and be normal people. And they're not like, they're not like in some 
inaccessible thing where I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to try to figure out how to work around this thing they do that's so impenetrable. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just, because I always think that, I remember at a, at a young age, one of the first great directors I worked with was um, Frank Pearson, who wrote Dog Day Afternoon and all kinds of great stuff. And he was directing yeah. a movie with James Woods, and I was an intern on that set, but I got to talk to Frank Pearson for a bit. And one of the things he said to me is, you know, you're really fortunate when you get actors who are also great technicians who appreciate that the job of an actor is a technical, a film actor is a technical job as well, that they have to be aware of, you know, marks and where cameras are. And that has to be part of their process. And when it's not, how much harder that is for you, the filmmaker. Um, you know, so I like it's, I've told a few people on that story you told me about eating the bug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like um Not to do it yeah we'll do it again yeah like just you know i love this idea of you're like oh i really have to get into this crazy headspace how can i do this i'll just eat this fucking bug <laughs> yeah it's like oh sorry you're ending your life but i'm an actress you went out nobly <laughs> yeah you're helping me to make the character yeah um yeah yeah is there any other things that you find though as an actor like for me as a director you know i'm talking a bit about when i appreciate that an actor can kind of put it down between takes have you ever had an experience on a on a film where you had to work with an actor whose process was cumbersome or intrusive in some way um you know i've i worked with an actor i had to direct an actor one time who um and such a great actor and, and I guess the only, you know, you asked the question, I try not to overthink it and what popped in my head and, and, um, oh, oh, okay. No, that, all right. So this one actor, um, uh, it just stayed serious all the time. And the set was so fun and they, people were so upbeat and, um, like the only time he ever laughed was if something went wrong on the set, oh. you know, like. You know, it was that a little Gross. bit of that, <laughs> that sort of passive aggressive, like, um, he just, he, he was just too serious, very, very serious. Um, and that was a bit of a bummer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then I, um, I did work with an actor who, um, oh gosh, he just, he, he become a, um, a vegetarian, which I don't mind. Like I was a vegetarian, but, but he was always eating like, things on the set and I had to like kiss him and oh my god like just he wasn't he wasn't a real trained actor he was also part producer on the film and um and I just always remembered his trailer smelling of weird food and and just not great dental hygiene the, I, I can't believe I'm telling you these things um <laughs> well and, like uh, saying names you know we're not we're not to, I know yeah I know my friends are like oh the lentil guy we're like yeah the lentil guy wow <laughs> I just always think um, it's interesting to kind of note for different people when you work on different, one of the things I always find the most fun stories of people set experiences, like when you, like, I don't care what anyone says. It's funny when sometimes when you hear stories about certain actors that are people acting insane on sets, because people have some crazy stories. Like I remember the great actor, uh, Lance Henriksen telling me this story about this director who used teddy bears on set that he would confer with and talk to about takes and about material. And he would go and talk to these teddy bears. And Lance was just like, what the fuck? Like, how am I supposed to take this seriously? This guy's conferring with teddy bears. 
And at one point, I guess this guy came up with one of the bears and went to give Lance a direction and went to hold the bear up. And Lance was like, I'm not taking direction from the fucking teddy bear. Don't put that thing in my face. <laughs> like, and you hear a story oh. like that and you're like, you know, there's not a lot of industries where they'd let that guy have the one of the big jobs. One of the jobs, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, as for directors, the only, the weirder, the weirdest director was, um, I, I told you, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Don, yeah, Don Jackson. Don Jackson? And he. Oh, yeah. He would actually give the lines to the actors like once he would say and action. And then he would because he wanted them to be that fresh for some of his actors. He would line read the the during it. Oh, do you like when directors give line readings? Oh no. I mean, hey, if you've said a line and they really feel like you're not you know, if they bring you over and go, hey, you know, when you're saying, you know, can I have a cup of coffee? Just throw it away more. You know, like, can I have a cup of coffee? Just something like that. Yeah. That's fine. You know, but he literally was like, and action. Can I have a cup of coffee? And then the actor's like, can I have a cup of coffee? And then, <laughs> sure. Oh, wow. Two lumps. Sure. Two lumps. Like, literally, while oh, we're filming. No. He, he did, and I—that's like making silent films. Yes, that's how they used to direct silent films, right? It was they just be like, and then you're doing this, and now this happens, and then the actor would just be doing it yeah. like a puppet. But yeah. this was in modern times. I know that was super weird, and I don't know if it was just because some of in those your, actors didn't want to memorize lines, and this was how he could get them like on. Shot in like a, was it shot in another country where there was a language barrier of no. some kind and he had to just give them like phonetic line readings or something? No, or? no, this was in, in Hollywood. We were shooting in a building and it was, you know, Don Stroud oh. and um, Lou Ferrigno and he would he would tell them what their lines are and then they'd say it and then he'd give them the next, like while the camera's going. Wow, I've never even heard of anyone doing that. Yeah, that's that, really weird. That's yeah. Cool. But otherwise, that would be- I love my directors. I love them, I love them. <laughs> We should, we have to talk about some of the supporting actors in the Suspense films you worked with, Kevin Spiritus and, and Melanie Shatner. Tell me a bit about now, Kevin in particular. You you have a very close relationship. Kevin, and Kev, of course, is who introduced me yes. to you, so we could we got to know each other. Kevin's he's my the, brother. The shit, the you bomb. Know. Love him. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> we we um, you know, uh, two years after we shot it, I wound up um, I was pregnant, not from him, from my husband. And, um, and I did, <laughs> I did a home birth and I had, um, I had 16 friends at my home birth in my house. Um, I had Michelle Stafford. I had Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart Simpson. I had Kevin Spiritus. Uh, those are three Emmy award winners right there. Um, yeah. And, uh, I'm trying to think of any other famous people. Um, anyway, and, and several other husband, wife, friends of mine. And they all got to be there when I birthed my daughter into this beautiful world. And so we all bonded and um, we all lived happily ever after. And that's all true. Um, so we were close friends. That happened. And then soon after that, he got cast um, as Dr. Craig Wesley on Days of Our Lives. And so from that yeah. point on, when and he was played a doctor on it, when people would say, like, are you really a doctor? And he's like, I'm not really a doctor. Um, I play one on TV. 
but I did help one of my friends give birth to her daughter in her bedroom. Um, <laughs> so we, um, we just became very close. He was, you know, I had, uh, but six years after that, I lost my brother. So he kind of, you know, he was the same age as my brother. And, um, so he just very much wore that hat for me with me. Um, I did a one woman show for one of my birthdays and he helped me to direct it. We would meet every day for three weeks going over me telling him my life stories, mostly from zero to 25 years old, as opposed to you know right. after. And, um, and, and he's just so astute. It's so nice to have someone help you write a one woman show who knows you but not so much that they're tainted or have an, um, an other agenda, right? Like it would have been different if like my mother directed my one woman show, you know, she'd be like, no, Nisi, it wasn't that way. You would never listen to me when I would drive you to school, you know, <laughs> but you have someone like Kevin who knew my mom as well. They got very close. He knew, he knew my family, but, um, but he also was just enough outside of my world to be able to look in and see how I, um, how I entertain and fashion the world, how I get past difficulties. Um, you know, you don't always know those things. You're just in your life and you're just fucking doing it. And then you've got someone who's such an empath like Kevin, who just feels so deeply and is so, um, yeah, that's a great word for Kevin. Totally. He is really that kind of person. Yeah. He does this weird thing too. I don't know if you have this experience with Kevin, but sometimes like I'll be having kind of a shitty day and the phone will ring and I just be Kevin. I'm like, oh, I wonder what's up. And, I, and, and I'll just answer like, hello. And then Kevin will just be like, hey, just wanted to see what you're doing. And I'm like, ah, I need, I'm glad you're calling me because I was kind of getting in the dumpster. What's up? Oh, I just wanted to chat it. And I'm like, how does he do that? He yeah. usually somehow he he figures out like when a, a Kev call would just kind of give me a little boost of like, you know, he's got oh, a real strength about that. Yeah, it is. And th those are the people, you know, that you just need to keep really close to you. And, um, and I love yeah. that after, you know, and, and he'll tell you that there wasn't a character written for him in this uh, prequel. And I just, he said, you made it happen. Yeah. I, I could not have this, I mean, the family was getting so small, you know, Melanie's out, you know, she's not acting anymore. And um, yeah, Angus Scrim is dead. And um, it was just a very small American cast. And I'm like, dude, not only are you alive um, and look fucking phenomenal. Wait, what about Marin? What about Marin? Is See, I think I'm, uh, we, we, um, I think he is in it. Oh, is he? I mean, I I, I I know the part that I think he's going to be, and I know he's alive because we're pals on the Instagram and he follows me. Oh, so cool. Let's... He's great. He's so much fun in the movie. So <laughs> much fun. And I, you know, I just keep hoping yeah. as these guys get older, I just don't want them to have a heart attack and fucking die. So, um, yeah, please don't guys. No, I know. I, that's why that's the reason I want to get this done. People are getting older. <laughs> so they don't die before you can make the movie. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because you have this whole thing where you, you do two or three back to get back to back. Then there was a bit of a gap and four is also particularly different than two and three because full moon as a company was going through a very different time oh, yeah. as well. Their budgets were getting smaller and they didn't have that paramount support anymore. And 
Did you notice on the, the fourth film a big shift in kind of totally. what Ted had to work with and stuff? Totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, yeah. he still he did he did awesome, but but we felt it, you know, really in the yeah. time constraint too. You know, you got three weeks as opposed to whatever, six weeks, half of the time, half uh, probably less than way less than half of the budget. Um and that's why this one took so long because he just wanted to make sure that it'd be at least enough of a budget. He's still working with, you know, so little. Um, yeah. yeah. How long do you, are you guys shooting the film for? Um, three weeks, another three weeks, just three weeks. And that's long for a full moon movie at this point. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. A lot of them are shot in like five days and stuff. Now. Yeah. But they're, they're not epic series, you know, and, well, and I think it's really hard to make a movie. In no, you could make. I wouldn't. Want you it. could make a cheap video. You know, you could make a, but like a cheapo. When I say video, I, I guess I just mean. I, don't know. I guess all movies are videos now, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I just think of you know when when I hear that, I'm like, how do you have time to get coverage that isn't just like over over two shot next over two like you you know there isn't time to do anything when you're shooting a movie. You know, Ted's going, he's leaving to Serbia in a few days. So the good thing is that he's, um, he'll have a, a fair amount of pre-production time. I go out on the 27th. Um, and then I think we, uh, we first day of shooting is September 4th. So that, oh, wow. that will give us, you know, I'll have five days of hair, makeup, costume, wardrobe, tweaking, you know, I've got to get fitted for some head shit. Um, so that that's good. I mean, all that it, um, helps to know that there's going to be some pre-production um, because a lot of times you don't even get that, you know. Have you ever had any like funny fan encounters? Have you ever had like a weirdo fan come up to you? Um, oh, I don't I never even like to say that because they're all awesome. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. You know, You're too nice. Like, but I'm just thinking like, yes, they're, they're, you know, I don't even like to like what what's weird to someone is not weird to someone else. Um, well, you know, one of those interactions where you're like, I'll be okay when they've walked away from the table. I uh, know this interaction. I know. I, I feel weird because they, because those people might be watching. Um, but I am, um, I will say, um, I, I will say that I don't know what I'll say. You know, <laughs> I don't want to say anything bad. Um, I, um, I did have, I do have two oh, people that have, that tattooed me on their arm. One on my one on I'm on someone's arm and I'm on someone's thigh and I love that. That's great. And um, but I, when I did an autograph convention in um, Cincinnati years ago, I was there with the guys. Well, not with, but um, uh, the Walking Dead, and um, Norman was there, and you know, and that crew. And this was whatever eight seven years ago. And when I was at the airport leaving. I started to talk to one of the cast members and I, I said, I go, well, by the way, I had many people come to my table that wanted to buy a headshot, but they said they spent all their money with you guys. And, um, cause theirs was like $40 a headshot, you know, anyway, yeah. I was just giving them a hard time. And, and I said, but they would all show me the pictures that they took with you because it's like a special booth. They print them out. And I said, all you guys are wearing your dark sunglasses. Um, they're like, 
that's because, you know, we're, we're looking at them really weird and we don't want them to see what our eyes are doing. And I was like, oh, don't be mean like that. And yeah, be nice. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, maybe not all of them have the best dental work or the best breath, you know. Um, that's sort of the worst thing where someone wants to keep talking to you and keep talking to you and they have really bad breath, like, or just hygiene problems. Yes. And you know, and then you go and you take a picture and the smelly armpits, you know, there's that, um, you know, but, but I, I, uh, but still like really it's, you know, someone's giving me 25 or $30 just stand next to them and take a picture. I can hold my breath. I'm fine. They're awesome. Yeah. I always remember uh, George Romero uh, was so wonderful at conventions. He uh, he had so much fun talking to fans and he would just like, he never, and I, I always kind of applauded that, that about it because he was quite an elderly guy and he was still, and he, he would finish them. He'd be just exhausted. And I remember saying to him one time at the end, I was like, George, like you're spent. Like it was when, when his health started to deteriorate yeah. a bit. And I said, you know, why do you still want to do these? He was like, I love it. I it means so much to these to some of these people, and these are my fans, man. Like these are the people who allowed me to keep working. It's like I, it's the least I can do is show up and chat with them and sign their yeah. stuff. And like, and he would often not charge. Like it, younger kids would come and he wouldn't charge them. And yeah. his agent was his like uh, publicist. Like his, uh, I guess he had like a, a separate one for yeah. conventions. Was like, you know, you we can't. You have to charge. He was like, I'm not charging some little kid you know, who's already bought my movie to sign my name. I, I don't want to do that. And it, I was just like, that's so wonderful yeah. after the long career that he's had that he still has that. Cause you know, there's some people who don't, they're like, Oh fuck, I got to do a convention. Like you know, just for the money. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And George wasn't like that. He liked getting out and talking. And I think once you're like that, you'll always be like that. You know, I mean, not like from, yeah. From the first convention, I couldn't like, I didn't, I didn't charge. In fact, I remember the other actresses are like, why aren't you charging? And I'm like, no, I, really? Like, I, I didn't want to charge, you know? Yeah. So the first two conventions, yeah. I just gave them away. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm make, I don't. Um, and then I realized, oh, that's, that's not good. That's not good PR for the table, you know? Um, well, and I guess it probably for the other people there, they're like, you're making me look horrible. Totally. <laughs> and, and everybody at the event, it's like, it's just, it's sort of like, oh, who are you? You know? So I understood yeah. that. And, um, but it doesn't mean that I can't like, look here, take a blah, 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 you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and totally. whatever I get, I've been doing it for on and off decades. And, and I just think certain people really enjoy the, the, the audience that they've created this effect on. Why do you think subspecies at the end of the day has had this lasting imprint on, on fans, people, you know, these movies were made a long time ago now with, not a ton of money and they didn't have, you know, big, the big A-list stars of the day in them. And yet they still make comic books of them and fans still love them. And, you know, why, why do you think they've just stuck around like this? Well, Ted wrote a, a brilliant lasting story. He actually wrote a story. And, um, and I think it touches upon, you know, certain good basics in the Gothic folklore world of vampires and Nosferatu. So that was very smart. You know, you, you want something unique, but you don't want to totally reinvent a wheel in a genre. You know, we have certain things that are comfortable for us to, to sit and watch. And I think he, he addressed some of those. And, um, 
and I think he cast it really well. And I, I don't, I don't mean that for me. Um, but, but, you know, choosing honest and, and choosing the Romanian actors that he chose the way he chose to, um, set design it. It's just visually like this is an, and, and it was a low budget film then. Um, and, uh, and yet it, it just visually, you couldn't tell the difference between that and an interview with a vampire that had come out like the similar year, you know? So mm-hmm. when you have such a high level of aesthetics, um, that's very much uh, like one person's vision and making sure that, that everyone below them contributes to that. Because you look at a lot of other horror films and if you don't demand that level of, of performance and visually light it right, not just, I'm going to throw a green backlight on this fake flat wall and have the girl run in front of it and scream. If that's your level of aesthetics, that's going to get old. You know, it's not going to hold through time. It'll be laughable. And, um, and they, he really brought in, um, just what he knows and loves as, as a filmmaker into a very small budget. And therefore the, the, the budget's the last thing you think about when you're watching the film. It, it's the story, it's the visual. Um, and, and he got great performances every time, you know, he, we, we would, we would do it again. We would do it again. If he didn't get what he want, we would do it again. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, the subspecies movies to me are going to be for me, right. When I saw, the, the first film and then the second, third. like I was a kid, I was, you know, 10, 12 or something like when I, and you know, everybody has their stories about movies they see that kind of had this influence on them. And I think of seeing the subspecies movies at that time and thinking, wow, I want to do this. So yeah. I always felt like, now, you, you know, when I got do, to talk to Ted, what did you mean? Like you want what, to make a movie like that? I was like, I want to, this movie, like, it seemed to me, I was like, they're getting to do all the things in this movie that I would want to do if I made a movie of my, I would have, I want to have monsters, but I also want to have romance and drama and these amazing, like, and and crap. I don't want it to be, you know, just teenagers running through the woods. Like, I like, those movies are fun and I like those movies, but I never wanted to make them. Um, God, that, that, and so I just, done so much for me saying that, like that right there, like you really nailed it, you know? It's like I sit back yeah. and I look and I'm like, wow, that is it. Because I go from my sweater and jeans in that little, when I'm running and getting my passport and I got my jeans on and my sweater and my purse. And then, and then cut to a few scenes later and I'm in this gothic gown. Like, come on. Yeah. How fun to make yeah. a film where you get to do that, you know? Well, it's, it's all the great things of classic movies, right? There's, there's wonderful artifice and there's, gothic romance and there's monsters and there's there is the heroine but there's also a reality to it and there's also a strength of 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 these characters where they feel accessible even though they probably shouldn't you know what i mean even the fucking mummy at points like where she the sense of her pain of of being wronged by her children like is a real thing and you're looking you're like how can i feel for this grotesque thing but i do you know so it's just i think that's why these movies continue on I, I think because there there's a timelessness to them but also a level of craft and skill and just storytelling that makes them sort of the kind of movies that people continue to want to revisit that's it that's it that's a that's a wrap on i mean wow i wish ted could hear all that ted's gonna have to see this 
before we even shoot. This oh, I hope. Yeah, I hope. Oh my I God. You I just do. reinvigorated so much enthusiasm for me to go back and do number five. You're not done. You're not done. Yeah. Get you guys got to go get to work out there. We want another kick-ass subspace. That's what there's I mean. A, you, there's a real bar you, to live up to here. You, you, but you have just breathed so much more enthusiasm and life and purpose into me getting ready to go out there. Like this, well, good. this was better than me going and doing any acting class on my script. Like this. Was yeah, best. I think it's important sometimes for you know it can be really helpful to know that your work matters to people yeah. and i think that it does you know i think they're not just movies like i'm saying you know seeing these movies at a young age is part of what made me want to become a filmmaker and that's the career i've chosen and that's you know and and on some level that influence is is still with me and i think if if that's the case for you, i'm sure there's there's other people that, that have that too so i think it's i don't know they're special films and i'm looking i'm really excited that you guys are getting to go out and, and make another one. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, I remember meeting. My dog's excited too. I remember meeting your baby last time. <laughs> yeah, he concurred. Well, I, 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 you have to come back though in a little while because we didn't even get to talk about your Vampire Resurrection movie or the Stronghouse or any of your other films. So, will you come back later and we can talk about those another time? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, it's Sweet. like there's going to be a and the Netflix series of Denise and Kevin. <laughs> I'm down. All right. I'm, all right. Uh, yeah. I, and I think the listeners will be too. Um, and I, I've talked to, you know, we won't, pro we won't tell anyone yet when or how it'll be, but, but I've talked to honest and Kevin, you and Ted about how we're all going to do something special for the new film when it comes out. So we're going to, we're going to have to, we'll, we'll tease that a little later down the road, but that's something we're going to. put together. I mean, it, you know, zoom works in Serbia, Mike, I don't know. We need, yeah. We need to. A little tour of the set or something. I know. That'd be cool. Exclusive. Spill your guts. Exclusive. Well, and, and we were going, I was going to have a girl. She's a, a, a fan and um, she was sort of helping with social media. And when we were going to do this film last year, she was going to fly out with us and, and um, the production company would put her up. She was going to fly out. And just be there to cover, you know, kind of be the video zone. And, um, yeah, yeah. And she can't come now. And um, anyway, they're just being a lot more tight about the set. So, right. But I'm going to be trying to do as much behind the scenes footage. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Know, I'm going to make sure that I've got yeah. endless memory on this phone. And, yeah. Um, Thank I you for coming and talking about the movies. I've, I, I, this is, this was to me sort of like the wrap up of this kind of series I did on the show on subspecies, getting to have you all on and talk about these films that are very kind of near and dear to me. And of course I know they are to you guys, but I think, you know, also to all the fans of the series, you know, getting a chance to kind of, you know, they've, they've been around with a lot of us now for a long time. So it's fun to kind of go back and reflect on, you know, how they were put together and the passion and skill that, that allowed them to be made. Uh, forte molt. That means thank you very much in Romanian. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're not going to be in Romania this time. That's going to be different. Huh? No, I actually need to learn a little bit of Serbian because it's very much a passion yeah. of mine being a lover of people to be able to speak a yeah. bit of their language. Yeah. So yeah. I need to brush up a bit of that and probably an app or something that will help you. 
there's always an app. Yeah, there's an app for everything. Totally. (laughs) Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Kevin. You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane, produced by Jason Hill, and edited by Felipe Ojeda. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Original artwork and design elements generously provided by Matthew Terrian. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by the support of listeners like you. And the most important thing you can do to ensure that these amazing interviews keep coming is to simply get the word out. You can find us on Facebook by searching Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts, Instagram at all one word, spill your guts underscore podcast, and Twitter at spill your guts underscore one, as in the number one. Be sure to post, comment, share, and like, but don't forget good old-fashioned word of mouth still goes a long way. And the best way you can support what we do is to just tell people about us. Friends, family, co-workers, whomever. Anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for guts. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>